Welcome to the Media Books Podcast, the only place on the internet where creative accounting isn't a bad thing. Owning a virtual firm today means having a professional and modern online presence, and in this podcast, we talk about how to do just that. My name is Kristen Corey, and I'm the owner of Media Books, a media agency that provides creativity exclusively to accounting firms. And if you're an accounting firm owner, you're in the right place. Let's get into it. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Media Books Podcast. In this podcast episode, I'm going to be talking about marketing strategies and why this particular marketing strategy is the focus for so many. Whenever I talk with accounting firm owners about their marketing strategies, they always feel a bit lost. What exactly is a marketing strategy? Can I put numbers to it? What's my ROI supposed to be? How do I get more of the right kind of clients? This marketing strategy is a favorite among marketers. The stats speak for themselves and you very well may be including this in your marketing strategy already, but it is about so much more than just checking off a box. Let's talk about what nearly every successful marketing strategy considers when they grow their audience. But first... Let's talk about a few headlines. So you likely may have heard recently that X, formerly Twitter, has been testing out some new features or let me rephrase subscription plans. Uh, A while back, I think about a year ago, they originally said they were going to test out doing like a dollar or doing this verified feature where you pay and you become verified and then you get all these perks like exposure um, and you know, you're going to, your posts are going to be boosted. Um, They also said it's going to be better for security and you'll get first access to their specialized front desk. Well, While some of these may be somewhat true, maybe it's helping with security, um, a lot of people aren't necessarily like jumping on this X's new paid subscription plan. So X is continuing to find a way to get people to pay for their platform. One way they're doing that is they are testing a basically $1 account fee. I think it's going to be annually. They're testing it right now in New Zealand and the Philippines just to see if they can get people to pay a dollar. And the reasoning for this is to get rid of some bots. Now, personally, I think it's a little bit frustrating that these giant tech companies that figure out so much can't figure out how to get rid of these bots that seem to annoy us all endlessly on every single app. But that is something that they're considering. X has almost X has also come out with two additional subscription plan options. There is a basic plan for $3, which includes editing posts. Um, you can have longer text posts. You can also have videos. And then there is a premium plan for $16 in which you can have ads removed. Now, if you're not on X and maybe you just occasionally check it for the news or something. Um, You may be wondering like who even uses this platform, Um, but I did a poll on my uh, Instagram account and I asked people, do you prefer X versus threads? It was about 50-50 and even there was a good group of people that said they don't really care about either. So it doesn't really seem to be a primary platform, I would say, with any major audience. I'm not seeing people really flock to it. It's primarily for people that have a platform or a voice. It is a very difficult platform to go on there and get new clients and find people that aren't 
necessarily influencers, but it can be a great place, great place to influence. So if you are on X, um, you know, so then I kind of consider with those subscription plans. Personally, I'm not on it. Uh, I just don't like the platform and there's plenty of other platforms that fit me and my business model better. When it comes to Meta now, this is the second headline I want to cover. Um, they're a little bit different, but they're kind of very much repeating this song and dance that we saw with X. It looks like they are considering a 12 to $15 charge for Instagram users. And Zuckerberg says it's for security. Um, but they're also saying that it could be, there could be a benefits to the users. Like it could boost your profile on people's feeds, um, which sounds like a really nice headline. But then we see like the head of Instagram, Masseri say it's because there's, there, there's going to be a verified only feed. And if you're on Instagram and you have to go to this specific feed for verified only versus just your normal content or the Explorer page, are you really going to get more exposure for this specific feed that you've paid to be on? Or are people just going to kind of stick to their old habits? Um, So I don't really know if it's going to be worth it. It kind of seems like all social media companies are just trying to figure out ways to boost revenue and make it sound all pretty and nice. Um... But I mean, I, I know some s- social media managers that have done the paid subscription on X and they don't really see any plus sides to engagement. They don't see those numbers changing. So I'm worried about, you know, if it's going to be the norm for meta or everyone's going to be jumping on this verified train, you know, no one can really be unique if everyone's doing the same thing. No one can really stand out or get more exposure if they're just putting us all in this very exact same feed that we started out with. Um, conversely, you know, if it is kind of giving you a good boost in your profile, um, then yeah, I would, I would consider paying for it. Um, but I definitely don't know if I would be the first to, uh, jump on it. I mean, 12 to $15 is not that much. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of everything these companies do nowadays. They change so frequently. So kind of something to watch and consider, especially if one of these social media platforms are a core, um, pillar to your marketing strategy. It's not that much a month to do the charge. Could be something fun to test out. But if you're already pulling in, you know, a good number of clients and you have a good strategy going on any of these platforms, um, you know, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Okay, so what do so many successful marketing strategies have where they are seeing big results? Email campaigns. Now, I'm sure some of you may want to know more, but some of you may be already rolling your eyes as I say this. Email campaigns for a lot have been seen as spammy or salesy. Um, Maybe people think they're ineffective because you think that people don't respond to email campaigns or you don't think you respond to email campaigns. For Maybe you think they're for bigger firms because you only have a few people on your campaign list no matter where kind of your mindset is at, the reality is email campaigns do work. Now, there are some nuances. So if you fully don't understand uh, all the stats and everything around email campaigns, it may seem like email marketing is a waste of time and money, but you really need to get the full picture to understand how they work and how you can make them work for you. So for example, I want to get into some stats to help explain this. The average open rate of email campaigns for B2B is 15%. That's according to MailMoto. If you are pulling anything above that, that's good. So you may feel like even 20% is low. I mean, 
who doesn't want 100%, but if your open rate is 20%, that's good. But just like with accounting, understanding industry averages can help explain how your marketing is actually performing. So I want to talk about some other stats to kind of help give you the full picture. For every $1 you spend on email marketing, you can expect an ROI of $40. Over the years, ROI has changed a little bit when it comes to this stat, but it has always been a consistent stat that shows up whenever you talk about email marketing. Email marketing has impressive return on investment. 81% of small businesses still rely on email as their primary consumer acquisition channel and 80% for retention. Why is this? Everyone is talking about social media and lead magnets. The truth is nothing feels more personal to a person than their email inbox. I mean, when it comes to marketing, obviously there's more personal things in the world, but when it comes to marketing, your email inbox, it feels very private. And so having someone send you an email, we get annoyed when it's junk mail or when it doesn't automatically go to our junk folder. But when we get mail from someone we like, or at least pay attention to, someone that we at least pay attention to, it shows we have established a certain level of trust with this person. This is why it is so successful and why many marketing teams rely heavily on it to acquire and retain new customers. Now, I want to share one last stat with you, and that is that 49% of consumers said that they would like to receive promotional emails from their favorite brands on a weekly basis. 49% of consumers. Now, there are some email campaigns I really look forward to personally. I take notice when I have not received anything from them in a while. And I, if I do receive a campaign from them, I may even leave them on unread just so it's like a little visual reminder to myself that I need to read them. That is a warm lead. Someone that is excited for your email campaign, someone that reads them, someone that leaves them on unread just so that they know, hey, I need to go back and read this. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, nor is this a statistic saying that you should send emails daily. Um, but if you are concerned about people unsubscribing for your from your email campaigns, they're likely not for you. For whatever reason, their needs and your services do not align. And that is okay. Pay attention to that 49% of people that are opening your emails, that are excited for your emails to come in on a regular basis. What are they clicking on? What days are they most likely to open your email campaigns? Do they read the whole email campaign? This leads me to the next subject, which is how to get started with email campaigns. First thing that you want to consider is the platform. Where do you want to send your email campaigns from? Some things that I personally look for when assessing a campaign app is automation, workflows, and then the type of pricing structure. So for example, I just want to talk about the three most popular ones that I come across when talking to clients. The first one is HubSpot. It's a really big name out there. It has automation, it has workflows, but these two features are more of their premium plans. They also charge you based on the number of contacts and emails you send. HubSpot is a great software if you are a large company with a big budget, but for most of my clients, uh, they find HubSpot quickly nickels and dimes them for features that they, they can get on other applications with a much smaller price point. And I'm not talking about, you know, oh, they charge, you know, versus $30. I've seen people try to use HubSpot and quickly find themselves spending hundreds of dollars a month 
on trying to just simply use uh, email campaign app features with some automation and workflows. Um, you know, HubSpot's a great app, but it is definitely built and priced more for bigger companies. The second app I want to talk about is MailChimp. And this is particular, particularly popular with accounting firms. Um, and that's because they're owned by Intuit. So depending on your QuickBooks plan, you can actually get some pretty great deals. Now, it depends on what QuickBooks plan you have and what Intuit plan you have that you can kind of get a good little bundle there. But I do like MailChimp. It is a, a pretty great email builder. It's fairly simple to use. Um, it could be a bit more straightforward in, in my preference. I think there's like a lot of unnecessary buttons and clickings at times. Um, but you know, they do have a good interface. They have, they're pretty flexible as far as the design. Um, you know, can't always do everything I want to do, but this is more from a designer's point of view. For you as a business owner, you should be able to do everything you want to do. You should be able to post, um, have any images, text, links, pretty much everything you would want, you can do in that option, with that option. So MailChimp is a great one. Having said that, I also want to talk about my favorite uh, app, and that is Flowdesk. I cannot talk about email campaigns without talking about Flowdesk. They are my absolute favorite, primarily because they have a great user interface, super simple to use. They also have a very simple pricing structure, and they don't gatekeep a ton of features. For example, their automation and their workflows are included with all of their email plans. HubSpot cannot say that. So if you would like to give Flowdesk a shot, I highly recommend it. I have an affiliate link in the show notes. It gives you 50% off for one year. So once you have your email campaign app, you're kind of getting all set up. One thing you need to consider and also set up is how to actually get emails. There's a couple ways you can do this. The first way that I just want to get out of the way is cold emails. Cold emails are essentially where you email someone out of the blue. You have no context for knowing them. They don't know you. You are just, this is the introduction. It's an email. Don't use cold emails. I know there's going to be marketers out there telling you like, hey, if it works once out of a hundred, it's worth it. Frankly, they leave a bad taste in your mouth. I don't think that's going to be the best way to get, you know, clients that you enjoy working with this. Um, and if you are considering this, this is kind of my last ditch effort. Do me a favor and go to your spam or junk folder. There is going to be a long list of people that decided to use cold emails. Every time they send one, they are just increasing their chances of someone marking them as spam, which means that their emails are automatically being sent to this folder. It's a bad look. You can possibly even lose your ability to use an email campaign app. If they see you have a certain percentage of unsubscribes in your email campaign app, they will actually flag your account. So I would avoid this at all costs um, and, you know, consider definitely different ways to go. So what are you supposed to do? What other options do you have? One great option is lead magnets. This is essentially a document, calculator, giveaway, educational information something you have that someone is willing to exchange for their email. It's a little bit of a higher value add. This can be set it and forget it marketing. You can use it as like a pop-up on your website or even just like a sub tab in your menu. You can pin it to the top of your Facebook or Instagram profile. You can have it in you know the bio section of your LinkedIn profile. 
link it to the bottom of the video. There are so many places that you can put lead magnets where people are going to want to use these. It's something that creates real value that people will want to exchange their email for. So that's one really great place to do it. A few other places that you can really harvest emails from consultations. Every time you have a consultation, that email should be going to your newsletter or your regular, you know, however you segment out your audience. Webinars, if you do a webinar, whether you host one yourself, you should be sure that you're putting together um, sort of some sort of workflow where you can collect those emails. Conversely, if you're a guest on a webinar, um, ask if you can make it part of the agreement that you also get everyone's email when they sign up people that you network with, if you have any sort of meetings with them just to talk about business or partnerships or a way that you can work together, that's one way to add to your email list. And then also you can combine these strategies. So if you purchase ads, um, you know, in someone else's email campaign to show off a lead magnet, add the email subscribers to your email campaigns. So you can kind of find different ways to mix and match the different assets of your marketing strategy to create new opportunities. So growing a list from scratch, I mean, it's not going to be a quick process, but you will notice a return on your investment over time. So as you are slowly building, you're going to want to create a process for sending out those campaigns. And that's going to be really the next thing to keep in mind is setting up a process. One tip that I have to making this simple is to keep the same format. Doing this simplifies the process and makes it easier for you to think of content when the time comes for you to send out another campaign. So for example, my email campaign format with media books is I start with a letter to my audience. Usually this is like a personal story of something that happened to me recently that I tie back to a marketing or accounting. I try to be encouraging. I try to be motivational. I try to be a little bit funny, plain English so everyone can really understand. I don't use very technical marketing language, um, and I'll, but I'll use technical accounting language because it's presumed that you know enough to own a firm. You should know what I'm talking about. So that's one thing that I always start my email campaigns with. I then usually promote something. Um, sometimes it's a lead magnet. Sometimes it's a service that I'm wanting to focus on. And then the last part of the email campaign, I focus on an update on our latest content. Typically, this is podcast content, but sometimes it'll be a blog post. Um, and so that's that's my format. Just letter, promote something, and then update on content. This is something that I can just repeat fairly easily. I send campaigns out twice a month. And so I typically have enough content to do that. It's a frequency that works for me, but you know, for you, it may be different for whatever reason. I know some people that send out campaigns weekly, um, and that's a more aggressive strategy. But as we know, email campaigns have a high return on investment. So that is likely part of their marketing strategy where they're really honing in on email campaigns, and that works for them. Conversely, I know people that send them out once a month because that's all they can handle. And if that means that they're able to be consistent, then great. Generally, when it comes to frequency, I do recommend no less than two times per month and no more than one time per week. Now, this is a general estimate, but if you have a highly engaged audience with high quality emails like a welcome series and content with high click-through rates, you could up your frequency and see if you could still get those same high numbers. So really kind of depends on some testing and figuring out what works for you and your audience. But the important thing is that you set up a process that you can stay consistent with. And now the next part I want to talk about is how to optimize your email campaigns. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you already have some interest in marketing for your firm, you may have already started 
sending out email campaigns. So you want to move to the next step and that is optimizing. I want to go through some ways you can do that. The first is to make sure that you're using a platform where you, the business owner, can easily read or understand the analytics. If not, really figure out how to dive into understanding those numbers and where they are on your platform. Every platform is going to be different. The numbers they provide are going to be different. Some things you're going to want to develop an understanding for, um, especially as you begin to optimize your email campaigns more and test out different features. So some things that you may want to consider is what day of the week are people most likely to open an email? So for example, people typically describe Tuesday. There's like a bunch of stats and stories. I think kind of sad note, but usually Tuesday is the day of the week that most often when people commit suicide, it's usually on a Tuesday. Tuesdays aren't great. People don't like Tuesdays. So is this not the great day to send out email campaigns? Is this the day where people are actually most likely to unsubscribe? Um, Knowing information like that can help move your marketing stats in the right direction. Flowdesk makes this super easy. They actually have a breakdown showing you open rate by day of the week. So I've been testing this out with um, just nudging my numbers in the right direction and maybe sending some email campaigns out on a Wednesday to see, oh, how does it compare with Monday? Um, and it's it's kind of something fun. You know, it's a low risk. It's one way to kind of just improve yourself a little bit more. There's no cost to doing this other than just getting to know your numbers a little bit better. And especially if you're someone that got into accounting because you like diving into that data, this can be a great place where you can feel really comfortable in that marketing. Something else to consider is what time of the week are people most likely to open an email campaign? Do most people open your campaigns around lunchtime? If so, Does that mean that you should send out the email campaign in the morning or should you send it out at lunch? How do time zones affect this? Does your email campaign app have a feature where you can send out campaigns based on time zones? That's actually a feature for many email campaigns. And so something that you may want to consider as you consider different ways that you can optimize your campaigns. These things do matter. Large companies have massive teams devoted to email campaigns studying these numbers. So if you're kind of thinking, oh, it doesn't matter whether I send it on a Monday or a Tuesday or at nine o'clock versus one o'clock, these things, there's there's lots of research behind people actually studying, okay, how do we hit people at the right moment with this message? So try to lo- really consider what platform you have, whether they're providing you with the analytics that you need, and whether you want to be A-B testing your email campaigns. Second, spend time on the extra elements. This is what you can do to optimize your campaigns even more. Don't just focus on the content of the email. There's going to be a lot of other areas that matter too. So for example, who does your email campaign say that it's from? If it has your name, but you are not included in the branding or marketing of your business, this is confusing. So you as John may be the business owner, but if you're not the face of the brand, but the emails look like they're coming from John, that's confusing. Conversely, if it is just your business name, uh, if you know, John, it's John accounting. And when you send out the email campaign, it looks like it's coming from administrative email at John accounting. It feels impersonal. You did all this work to create a personal brand, but now you're sending out an email campaign from administrative desk. You know, consider who the email campaign is coming from. Consider the brand, the trend, the vibe that you're trying to give off and uh, how it'll best connect with your audience. You also want to consider what you're putting in the subject line. 
I don't know what it is, but I absolutely hate writing subject lines. I've heard this from so many people. It's just the, if, if, uh, what is it? Writer's block hits at any point. It is the second I click on that little subject line and think, okay, what do I put in the subject line? Um, which is unfortunate because it is possibly one of the most important pieces of putting together an email campaign. The subject line can be a major factor in people determining whether they open your campaign in the first place. You want a hook, but you also do not want to be misleading. How do you write your hook so it matters and it matters and it kind of is cohesive with your content? Personalization. I'm sorry, I just said that word. Personalization. There we go. Personalization, like including the first name uh, of someone, of a contact, has been shown to be very effective. Do you want to write your entire subject line in caps? Um, you know, there's all these different things that you want to consider. Seven years ago, writing the entire subject line in caps was the thing to do. Now, maybe you want to try it all in lowercase. Do you use emojis? There's lots of questions and tons of different ways to strategize your subject line. And again, it may seem trivial, but these things do matter, especially when it comes to people just clicking open on your email campaign. And then the third thing that you want to consider when you're trying to optimize your email campaigns is putting together a welcome series. If you look through some of the stat resources that I've shared in the show notes, you will consistently see stats that illustrate the importance of those first few emails. People are most likely to open up those first few emails that you send when you receive uh, when you receive someone's email. So make those first few emails, those welcome series, make them good ones. Whenever you get a new email, send them through your welcome series. This is going to be a combination of those automation and workflow features that I talked about when I talked about HubSpot and Flowdesk and MailChimp. This is why those features are important. Essentially, a welcome series is a way to set up your first few emails going out to a new contact. So make sure those emails are fantastic. They have a ton of value. Then at the end of the workflow, automate it so the email campaign is added to the appropriate segment. And then fourth, another great way to optimize is to segment your audience. This can be especially valuable to those of you who have spent the time doing branding work. If you can identify different personas or types of people in your audience, segmenting your emails is not just as good. I'm, excuse me. Segmenting your emails is one way to not just personalize an email with the first name. You're actually going to be personalizing the message. So for example, let's say you have an audience of business owners and an audience of individuals that you prepare taxes for who are not business owners. You can separate these groups so that business owners get business related content. And then maybe they also receive, you know, information on individual tax prep. And then the individual group, they primarily get the individual, primarily tax prep content. They don't need the business bookkeeping, you know, month to month content. By doing this, you're decreasing the amount of irrelevant information going to their inbox. You're keeping their attention and you're doing an even higher level of personalizing the emails you are sending out. So, just to wrap this all up, so many successful marketing strategies focus on email campaigns because they work. We've seen the stats to prove it. By the way, all the stats that I mentioned in this podcast episode, I have linked in the show notes. Um, I also have a few additional stats and great little uh, infographics that talk about a little bit more about email campaigns. Um, and those are kind of fun and good to read through. But once you make the decision to start using email campaigns to market your business, 
you're going to find it can be the most efficient way to get a hold of your audience when they need to hear your message most. Your website is the foundation of your marketing. And if you are trying to market or grow your online accounting firm without a virtual office front, you are missing out on optimizing your business. Post job descriptions, showcase all your services, host a podcast, sell digital products, provide affiliate resources, or simply let people get to know you better. If you have a vision for your website, but no one to help you build it, start your research by visiting our website. There you can learn more about our custom web design services where I build your virtual office front. Find it all at mediabooksagency.com. Mediabooks, the only place on the internet where creative accounting isn't a bad thing.